Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, we're in this series, this marriage series that we started, for better or worse, uh, last week. And um, next week is going to be an interesting day because it's going to be a... uh, my wife is going to join me up here, and uh, that's scary for me. <laughs> I like to control the narrative, so I may not exactly be able to do that next week. I'll try. I'm going to have to work on her this week leading up to Sunday, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, Christy, you know, that's just impossible for me to control any kind of narrative. Um, no, but uh, so we just want to invite you back. It's going to be a, a great time. We'll be able to just uh, share a little bit about our own relationship, but also things that ups and downs and lear- things that we've learned along the way. And by no means are we experts, but I think you might resonate with some of these things. And maybe even the light bulb will come on and say, you know what, I think I need to work on that in my own life. And so I encourage you to be with us next week. You know, what I love about the gospel <clears throat> is that We come to Jesus, and Jesus takes what's broken and what's oftentimes very ugly, and he makes it beautiful again. Like, like only God can do that. Only God can do that. Like, we try, right, when things are not where they need to be, when things are broken, when things are ugly, when things are, we, we try so many other things to try to make things better, and we oftentimes find ourselves looking at it and say, this is just not good enough. And I love that about the gospel. And I think that as I look around here, I think that your stories, many, many of you have that same story where if you look and assess where you came from, how broken things were, how bad things were, and how Jesus came into your life, and now you look at where you are now, and you say, wow, how did I get here? It's only because of Jesus. And we want this place, Life Church, to be a place where people who are hurting, who are broken, and as we're talking about marriages, who are hurting and broken in their marriages, will experience God's redemptive work in their lives. Our marriages actually should be a reflection of the love of God. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by how? By how you love one another. In John 13, says, a new command I give you, love one another the way I have loved you. Like, this is, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done. And this is what he's inviting us into. He demonstrated this new way of loving, a way of loving that was full of compassion and kindness. It was a love that was committed and unconditional. And I am so, if I do nothing else, if I talk about nothing else, I am so personally thankful for that kind of love extended to me. Because I was not deserving And if you're honest with yourself, you would say, neither was I. And yet he lavished that upon me. And so we've been talking about this in in the talk about this kind of love in the context of marriage. That marriage is really an image of that, a picture of that kind of love. And when we love others that way, like anybody, when we love others that way, but especially within the within our within our marriage, our spouse, we love them that way. What we are doing is we're telling the world, this is how God loves you. 
This is how God loves you. Now, doing a marriage series in a church like ours is kind of a little bit challenging because, well, we have all kinds of people here in a church this size. There's all kinds of people. There's people who are, are married. There are people who are not married. There are people who are divorced, people who are widows and widowers in this room. There's people who want to be married. There might even be some people who are married that don't want to be married, I guess, in this room, you know? I mean, there's all kinds of people, and it's just kind of challenging, honestly, to have a marriage series. I know there's already been some feedback about talking about marriage. I get that, and so I understand. There's all kinds of people here. So as we're talking about marriage, just know this, that we're not just talking about marriage. We're talking about Christ and the gospel. We're talking about how he has loved you and me. Last week, we... uh, kicked off with uh, generosity in our marriages. Like generosity is how love gets applied in all relationships, but especially in marriage. And the challenge last week was that we need to kind of rethink how we relate to one another. Sometimes we, oftentimes, in this culture, in the world we live in, we relate to one another transactionally. Like, I will give love to you if I get love from you. And the only way I can give love to you is if I have enough in my account to give back to you. And if I run out of my account, then don't expect anything in return. It's a very transactional way of looking. But that's not the gospel. And that's not how Jesus has loved us. That really what we should be doing is freely and abundantly giving love. And we do that, we're able to do that, and that's the question. The question is, how can I do that? Well, we're able to do that, not because I'm getting it from you, I'm getting it from him. And if I get it from him, then it's just unlimited source. Now, yeah, we might have a lot of reasons in our head why we don't want to. Like, you look at that other person and say, I don't want to. Like, they don't deserve it. Like I said, this week we've got quite a few feedback on last week's message you know, talking about boundaries and, and challenges in relationships where there's abuse, and I, and I get that, I get that, and there's certainly boundaries, but the question about generosity in our relationships never stops being a reality, is how that generosity gets applied, maybe in a situation where there is abuse, but the Bible is unapologetic about this. We are to be generous in our love towards each other. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about emotional generosity, um, like being emotionally generous. In Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, Jesus is asked a question about marriage and divorce, and I love what Jesus does. He doesn't just stop. He doesn't just like, so let me just tell you exactly what I think. He, he does, but he says he points back to Genesis. He points back to the beginning. He says, this is how it was in the beginning, And so you know the story in Genesis chapter 2, Jesus, you know, creates humanity, he creates man, you know, and he basically charges Adam with with an assignment, says, hey, you're going to be the keeper of the garden. So Adam is doing his job diligently, you know, he's supposed to be doing, and then in Genesis 2 chapter 18, I mean, chapter 2 verse 18, God says, says, it's not good, he looks at Adam and he realizes he's all by himself, he says, it's not good that he be alone. And so he does this kind of divine surgery and takes a rib and boom, there's Eve. And so verse 22, God introduces Adam to Eve and Adam is like, verse 23 actually says this, at last. (laughs) Like finally, 
you know, something to, you know, be a part of me, right? And so, you know, Adam's doing his thing. He's, so he meets Eve, and he's like, this is not worth talking. This is great. He actually even breaks into poetry. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like, this is what he's saying. He says, you were made for me, and I was made for you. This is the story in Genesis Jesus points back to. And then in verse 24, he gives us the statement of purpose for marriage. He says, um, for this reason, like there's a causal statement here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Like this is God's design for marriage, his intent for marriage, that they be one flesh, one flesh. This past summer, you know, I did a series on sexuality, and, and we talk about, you know, this idea of one flesh has a physical connotation to it, so we talk a little bit about that, that this physical part of, of sexuality is something that's reserved within the context of marriage, and that's where, this, that's where that idea comes from. It comes from this particular verse, but it's more than just Physical, it's also emotional. It's also emotional. The Hebrew word for intimacy is this idea of oneness that, that, that you see described in Scripture. It's the, the literal definition is a mingling of souls. Like, it, like one soul, like when we talk about souls, we're not just talking about flesh, we're not just body, but we're talking about who we are, our personhood, the mingling of those two together. So much so that you don't even know where one begins and one ends. That's this biblical idea of one flesh. It's this kind of closeness that God has originally designed for marriage. And so how do we, how do we experience that? How can we, within a, a marriage relationship, become one flesh? And that's really been the challenge. I think that's the challenge of our, of our day, the challenge of our culture is a resistance to the one flesh, possibly, but then also not a full understanding of what flesh f- fully means. And I think, I think generosity, emotional generosity, moves us closer to that idea of being one flesh. Now, let me just be honest with you. Emotional generosity is a choice. It's a choice. It's not something that you pray enough and all of a sudden it happens. Emotional generosity is an intentional choice on our part. Humans, as humans, we're always bidding for each other's, always bidding for connection with our spouse. We're always, you know, I drive down the road and Christy's sitting in the car with me and I see a 65 GTO run by. She knows zero about cars. Well, she knows how to start it and run it and drive it. She's like looking at me like, what? I know some things about cars. (laughs) But I see a 65 GTO. Oh, look, look at that, 65. And she'll, it her. In her emotional generosity, she'll go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Maybe it's a courtesy response, I don't know. It's, you know, that's how she responds to that. She could also say, why are you always so obsessed with those cars? They're ugly and old. She could say that too. So here's the thing. Emotional generosity, what, what I'm talking about, it is a choice to turn towards your, per, your partner. When they're bidding for connection, when they're bidding for attention, it turns towards them. The other option is to turn away from them when they're bidding for connection, bidding for, 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 uh, for intimacy. So it's a choice. And so I can't convince you to make that choice. 
maybe what I could talk about today is how, how to really improve our marriages and for us to have that one flesh connection would encourage you to start making that choice. Now, um, I want to qualify this again because uh, like last week I had a se- several qualifiers. Today is another qualifier. I was like, I don't know why I'm standing up here talking about this, to be honest with you. Because <clears throat> I have at times in our marriage, we've been married for 36, I have at times in, my, in our marriage been the most emotionally dense husband on the face of the earth. Like, one of the areas, for example, is learning how to listen without fixing. Any guys out there identify with me? Okay. <clears throat> so she, Chrissy wants to share something that she's struggling with, and so she'll share it. And when she starts sharing, it's not crossed her mind at all that she's asked, talking to me about this, wanting a solution for what she's sharing. She just wants to share how she feels about a certain situation. Within 3.5 seconds, I already have a solution. Like, she doesn't even finish sharing how she feels, and I'm already like, well, this is what you need to do. And I mean, she shuts down, you know, look, and I've been married for 36 years, and I still haven't figured this one out. And so, just, I'm standing here just being honest with you, saying, look, I... um, We've taken on this topic, but I'm not doing it from the perspective I'm an expert. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. Listen to me. That's not at all. And so I appreciate your grace, and I appreciate your kindness towards me. But I also think that this is important to know, is that we have been married for 36 years. I'm almost 60 years old. I'll be 60 this year. And, um, and I'm still learning. It's like there's not a moment in your marriage where you say eight years in or 10 years in, Figured it all out. I know exactly how it's supposed to be. We're always learning. And so, it's an encouragement. So I'm going to talk about some areas in which we can be emotionally generous. First one is generous with attention. In Luke 10, Jesus tells us, uh, is, you know, there's a story of Jesus and Mary and Martha. Jesus is in Mary, in Mary and Martha's house. And, um, and so Martha, you know the story. Martha's busy, you know, scurrying around, working, doing all this stuff, you know. And Mary is just basically sitting at the feet of Jesus, paying full attention, focused in on Jesus, just paying full attention to Christ. And Martha complains and says, hey, why don't you tell her to do some work? I mean, I'm the only one working here, and she's just sitting there. And Jesus says to her, says to Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. What Mary has chosen is to put her full attention on Christ. That's what Mary has chosen. I think when it comes to relationships, but especially within our marriage, we have so many other responsibilities. We have so many other things occupying our mind. We could just be busy with, with employment and money and kids and all these things that one of the most difficult things to give is, or to be generous with, is our attention in a relationship. It's the currency that's the hardest to give to our spouse, is focused attention. It is. You know this. Sometimes I think we think that proximity equals presence. Like, like last weekend, you know, Christy and I and our, two of our grandkids, we went to this Jurassic experience, quest experience here at the arena. And I was there, 
I mean, I was there from the morning all day long, you know, with our grandkids and, you know, all kinds of, you know, how that is. But I was there all, and I think technically I could have checked the box. I was, you know, the box of emotional attention, you know, generous with my attention. I was there all day long. But the problem was, is I was there physically. I wasn't exactly there in every other way, Right? Like I was, I was there, but I really wasn't there. There's a phrase that sometimes that we use that describes when a person is not attentive. Is this idea of emotionally unavailable, right? Which means that they're physically physically available, but they're emotionally absent. Like they're there, but they're not there. First service, I was saying this, and I looked up, and there was some wife was doing like this, punching her husband. Right? It seems to be the case. <clears throat> So being generous with attention means when your wife or your husband is talking that you turn the TV off, you close the computer down, you uh, take the phone, this is probably the biggest one, is the phone, you just put it away and you focus in. You're there, you're attentive. For some of you it might mean that you wake up in the morning and you, have, you just sit down and have coffee with your, with your spouse. For us, that wouldn't work. Chrissy's an early riser. She does drink coffee in the morning. I get up in the morning early as well. I drink coffee in the morning, but we are two different people in the morning. I learned this years ago when, you know, we were both up early in the morning, and I, I get up, and I'm, man, I'm ready to go, and I'm like, hey, I start having a conversation, and she stopped me mid-conversation. She said, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, I haven't had enough coffee yet. Yeah, so that, that wouldn't work for us, you know, to be fully attentive would not work early in the morning, but maybe, maybe it's a walk after work. For us, we, we will sit on the deck on, on nice evenings and we'll have dinner together and talk about our day, talk about our grandkids, talk about our kids, talk more about our kids and our grandkids and more about our kids and our grandkids. It also means, it also means that I'm paying attention to the health of our relationship. Like, where are we? Like, asking good questions. Hey, you know, the time that we're spending together, is that working for you? Is there anything that, that we should change? Any habits, any routines that we should change so that things are better between us? Like, asking those kinds. This is for both men and women, but guys, let me just tell you something. If you ask your wife those questions... Uh, she might pass out first, and then you have to kind of resuscitate her, get her back, because like, you asked her that question. But if you ask your wife that question, let me tell you something. It is a brand new level of connection, of being able to engage. <clears throat> Another way that we can be generous is we can be generous with affection. You study the life of Jesus and the word touch in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus often touched people he was praying for. He touched uh, people he was healing. In Luke 5, there's this story of a leper where Jesus, you know, the leper is looking for healing from Jesus. Easily could be done. Jesus could just speak the word. We know that about Christ. He has that power to look at a sick person and be healed. And the person's healed instantly. But Jesus makes a deliberate choice. The Bible tells us very specifically that he reaches out and touches him. 
Now keep in mind, culturally, contextually, what's going on here. Here's a leper who is unclean. Nobody touches the leper. There's this, there's this sense where you cannot touch him because if you touch him, you yourself will be unclean. So nobody touches a leper. And so I just know that Jesus must have understood. He did understand it. He understood this. And instead of just simply speaking the word and healing him physically, he makes a decision to heal his own soul too. To heal his soul too. By saying, by touching him and healing him. Yes, his body's clean. But now he's like, he touched me. Like there was affection there. Like there was something that Jesus was expressing beyond just healing him physically. It's a powerful, something powerful about physical touch, about affection. Now, certainly sexual intimacy is, since sexual intim- intimacy is part of affection, we're not really talking about it. We're talking about non-sexual affection. I told Christy this week I'm talking about that, so I walked up to her and I just, just hugged her and then walked away. <laughs> and she, and so that happened, I don't know, beginning of the week, and then later in the week she came up and she get, hugged me and gave me a kiss and said, we're having this non-sexual affection. <laughs> so, it was kind of weird, yes, I agree. <clears throat> Talk about things like holding hands while you're walking. A goodbye kiss in the morning, a hug when you come home. There's been a lot of times where I've... Uh, in our marriage where I've come home burdened and weighted, just either a conversation I've had that was difficult or a circumstance that I'm dealing with or a challenge of faith that I'm feeling challenged with and I come and I sit down and Christy knows me. She knows that when I come and I sit down on the edge of my bed and I put my head down like that, she knows something's going on. Doesn't say anything, she just walks up and very affectionately puts her hand on my neck. I can feel the love, and I can feel the, the care, I can feel the affection. And it's like, let me tell you something, it's like instant healing. There's something about an affectionate touch. I read some research this week, interesting research. It says 20 second, a 20-second kiss every day can have a profound impact on the intimacy and closeness of a married couple. A 20-second Kiss every time. I haven't, we haven't done it, okay? So we haven't tried that yet. But a 20-second kiss, somehow, somehow what happens for 20 seconds, if you do this, uh, some chemicals are released in your brain, you know, and there's like this stuff that happens between you. Intimacy happens. And so I just was wondering, you know, what, what that would look I'm, I'm sure, what does that look, kiss look like? I, I don't know. I know it doesn't look like this. You know, you kind of pucker up and you're like looking, okay. Because 20 seconds is long, by the way. If you, you ever tried it? Like, I, I don't know, I don't think it's that, because I don't think the chemical actually gets released that way if you're timing yourself. But here's what's true. God has designed us, God has designed us so that bonding can take place through affection and touch. That's how we've been designed. Number three, we want to be generous with appreciation. In Ephesians 5, Paul kind of t- talks about a filter that we should have with our with our words, how we talk. Um, and that filter is that we should say things only that are, that are life-giving and uplifting, that bring life. First Thessalonians 5, 11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. 
So how we talk should be building each other up. Now that by itself is a sermon all by itself to ask ourselves, how are we talking to each other? How are we in, when, when nobody else is around, when the kids are in bed or whatever, how are we having a conversation? What kind of conversation are we, are we building each other up? Or are we bringing each other down? I'm not gonna talk so much about that. I think this is really especially difficult to do in marriage because over time what happens is we begin to take each other for granted. Like after a while, we just see that behavior that's a good behavior and we just sort of take it for granted. Other people notice it. Other people say, wow, your husband's great at this. Wow, your wife is awesome at that. But because you've been around for so long, you just kind of take it for granted. And so maybe he's really good at picking up after himself, you know, and you've, been, you've seen that over the years, but now you don't even notice it anymore. Like, He's a grown man. He should pick up after himself is how you feel. Or she, she's really good at, you know, I'm making a special day, a, a really special day. And you've seen that over the years and you think, well, that's great. But now you've, the way you feel, it's like, it's just what it is. We just sort of take it for granted. It becomes easy to not show affection or appreciation that way. And the opposite is also true. The longer we're married, the easier it is to take them for granted, the things that they do for granted. The longer we're married, the easier it is for us to notice the things that annoy us about them. So that's all we see. Like they've been picking up their clothes and picking up their clothes for years, and now all you can see is like, okay, there's that one little thing over there. And so what happens is that criticism sets in. And let me tell you something. Nothing destroys emotional intimacy in a marriage faster and more effectively than criticism. Criticism. Just like encouragement and appreciation brings life, criticism brings death and separation. Proverbs 27 says this. He says, a nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a, of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off. You can't get away from it. I use the message version on intentionally because... Every other version says a nagging wife. Now, let me clarify here. I'm not changing the Bible. Let me clarify something. The reason why it says nagging wife is because Solomon wrote it. Solomon's a husband. Solomon doesn't have a husband. So Solomon couldn't say a nagging husband. He could only say a nagging wife, okay? Solomon's intention was not to say only wives nag. Solomon's intention is to say nagging in general, is very difficult, right? <clears throat> Amy Sutherland, she's a writer and columnist. She wrote an article about, I saw this article years ago, What Shamu Taught Me About a Happy Marriage. It's, I guess it's a book now. I won't read the book because I got enough out of the article. But um, uh, she was dis- she'd been married for 12 years and she was dismayed about why her husband hasn't changed more in those 12 years. Like, like she was, she'd been trying, it's not working. And so she writes, she says, like many wives before me, I ignored a library of advice books and set about improving him by nagging. Of course, which only made his behavior worse. He'd drive faster instead of slower, shave less frequently, not more, leave his reeking workout clothes on the bedroom floor longer than ever. But she says breakthrough came when she was researching a book. <clears throat> she was researching a book, she, she, and this is what she says. She says, I listened as professional trainers explain how they taught dolphins to flip and elephants to paint. 
If they can teach elephants to paint, then surely I can teach my husband to do some things differently. (laughs) She says, it became clear to me that the same techniques might work on that stubborn but lovable species, the American husband. The central lesson I learned from the exotic animal trainers is that I should reward behavior I want repeated. And I should ignore behavior I don't. So I've been, I began thinking him, I began thanking him and if he threw one dirty shirt into the hamper. If he threw two, I'd give him a kiss. Meanwhile, I would step over the soiled clothes on the floor without one sharp word, though I did sometimes kick it under the bed. But as he basked, here's what, what, what she said, as he basked in my appreciation, the piles became smaller and smaller and smaller. Here's the point. She recognized that what she was doing was not working that she had to find a new way. And the new way was showing appreciation. I mean, she had all the right to say, he's a grown man, he should know. I mean, he, it should not be dependent on whether I thank him for doing it. It should not be dependent upon that. She, rec- she knew, she might be able to say that, but she recognized that it was not working. The nagging was not working. And so she resorted to appreciation. And here's why. Because what we have received from Christ, there's so much that we have to give. I'm telling you something. It is a gift from God to notice in your spouse the good things they do. It's a gift. Don't you feel that way in your relationship with Christ sometimes? Where you are seeking him and you're searching after, and he comes and he speaks and he says, I am so pleased with you. Imagine that when you extend it to your spouse. If you don't believe me, just try it for the next few weeks, see what happens. All right, uh, one last emotional generosity thing I wanna talk about is acceptance. And I think that this is really key. Like instead of looking at someone and always thinking the worst, Instead of looking at someone and always thinking, you know, that there's just, there's, they're writing them off and they're saying, you're just not worth it. What if we learn to accept them? Like accept them and believe that God is going to move them towards a place where they can become who God has called them to become. Accept them. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, this passage we looked at, it says, Adam and Eve were both naked. And they felt no shame. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Like they were fully exposed. They were fully seen, fully known. They were naked. But they were not ashamed. They accepted each other. Not just physically, but emotionally. And I think as humans, we long for that. We long, let me just talk about marriage. We long in a marriage relationship that even though we have some hang-ups and we've got some things that we've got to really fix and we've got to work out, that we can look at our spouse and know that they still love us, that they accept us, because they were fully seen by them. We long for that kind of love. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures, Romans 15, it says, therefore accept each other, accept each other just as, in other words, how do we accept? Just as Christ has accepted you. That's the bar that, Christ, that, G, that Paul has, you know, has put for us that we should extend acceptance to one another the way we have been accepted by Christ. 
I know that's hard. I know you look, you look at your spouse and you see all those annoying habits. <clears throat> but what if we remember the grace that we receive from him? What if we remember the times that we have been, I have been accepted? Like, I know this. I, I mean, I love this verse, because of, not because I want to preach it to you guys and talk about marriage. I love this verse because I remember that day in 1981 when I had nothing to give. I was a sinner. I was in the deep pit of sin. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that in very real things. The stuff that I was doing. God extended love to me. And I knew about his love, but more than anything else, he accepted me in. What if, what if that was the posture that we started taking with our spouse? We started living in that kind of grace. Next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about grace, so I'm not going to get too much into it today. But um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to challenge you on something. Don't you dare take what I just talked about and go home and tell your spouse, see, that's what's wrong with our marriage. You're not accepting me. That, that's, not what, that's not the application of what I'm talking about. That's just you not accepting their unacceptance, basically. I'm talking about this because we need to recognize our own unacceptance of the other. That's what we need to be doing, right? So as you, as you understand your acceptance with God, then you can start extending that towards others. There's an old marriage illustration. I'm going to pull it up here. Um, it's a, the marriage triangle. We were in, we were in a pre-service uh, huddle before service, and, and I talked about this is going to be a cue. You see the worship team is walking up. This is going to be a cue for them to come up for this, on stage. And, uh, and I said the, the marriage triangle, and then Chris Carey goes, the love triangle. I'm like, no, it's not, that's not what it is. It's not what it is. It's the marriage triangle. <laughs> but here's the idea of the marriage triangle. It's a very simple illustration, but basically at the top is Jesus, and then the bottom corner is you have husband and wife. And oftentimes when we come together as in a marriage relationship, we might find ourselves in this kind of distance right here. And the goal is one flesh. How do we become one flesh? There's a lot of self-help books out there. There's a lot of ideas, psychologists, and you can go to, you can go to, therapists over and over and over again and try to explain to you what you need to do to get closer to each other. But a very simple truth is that as me as a, me as a husband and my wife as a, as, and Christy as, as my wife make the decision to draw closer to Jesus, this actually brings us closer together. Simple. I know it has its nuances and its complications sometimes, but the reality is, is this is how one flesh happens. Not because I'm expecting her to do and expecting her to be a certain way or she's expecting me. What I'm doing is I'm just saying, Jesus, I need you. Look at me, Lord. Look at the way I'm failing. Look at the way I'm failing as a husband. Look at the way I'm failing as a man. Look at the way I'm failing. Look at me, God. Help me draw closer to you. And as she does the exact same thing, there's this natural thing that starts happening. We both draw closer to Jesus, which means we start drawing Closer to one another. And this has been my experience in our own relationship. That the times where I've, where I have felt his presence like never before are the times that I love her the most, that I'm appreciative the most, that I'm accepting the most. And I know she's felt the same way. 
There's something about when a husband and a wife, wherever you find yourself in your relationship right now, whether it's a difficult relationship, that you make the choice. Today, it's not about me trying to figure out how to fix you or change you or you try to change me, but today you make the choice, Jesus, I just want to draw closer to you. I need you in my life. I need the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life, and I know I can only get that from you. I need the gifts working in my life, and I know I can only get that from you. So I'm going to pursue you, Jesus, and maybe pray with your spouse for them to pursue Christ as well. I'm going to ask us to stand. All our campuses will stand right now. I do feel conflicted about talking about this because I know, I mean, my time is limited, right? I have 30 minutes or so to try to talk about this and, uh, and I can't necessarily deal with every single circumstance you might find yourself in. And um, it's difficult. <clears throat> but I think there's a truth that is for every single one of us. And that is that we stop for a second and we say, God, I've tried this on my own. I've tried to fix my relationship with my spouse. I've tried to make it better. I've tried to do all the right things. And for some reason, it just seems like I'm failing. I cannot do this on my own anymore. I need you to help me. I need you to fix me. Now, yeah, it's easy for us to pray to fix them. I need you to fix me. Make me better at being attentive and loving and accepting and caring. Make me better doing that. And then if your spouse feels the same thing, they can start praying the same thing. And here's what I believe. I, I really believe that you guys will start drawing. It may be some time. It may be months. It may be years before it's back to where you really want it to be. But that's the trajectory. That's the direction that you and I are invited to, to operate in. And it starts with a complete surrender and humbling ourselves to Jesus. If you're in this room right now and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're hearing me talk about all this stuff, and you're like, I don't even know if I can even do or say the things you're talking about, again, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. And so I would invite you to today, for the sake of your marriage, to just give your life over to Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, I'd invite you today to simply say, God, I want to renew my, and I want you to restore what I used to have with you and start that relationship again with him. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and pray for our campuses right now, and then we're going to lead this worship. Father, we just want to thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, Father, for your healing touch, the way you touched that leper. You healed him physically, but you also healed him emotionally. And Father, that's what you really want to do with us today. You want to touch us. You want to touch our marriages. You want to touch our relationships with our parents and our children. You want to touch us and heal us, but not just physically, not just for show, but you want to touch our very core, our very being. So I pray for healing in this place. I pray for your presence in this place. I pray, Father, for marriages to be restored. I pray for relationships to be made well again. We ask it in Jesus' name.